You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash Film School. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. As a collaborator with Philip Glass, Tom Waits, and William S. Burroughs, Robert Wilson wowed the theater world with his choreographic work and revolutionary approach to visual storytelling, which includes Einstein on the Beach, Deafman Glantz, and the Civil Wars. Our guest today, Katerina Otto Bernstein, spent five years following Wilson around the world to film her latest documentary, Absolute Wilson. Otto Bernstein has a distinguished career as a filmmaker with credits that include the hit of the 1998 Chicago and Sundance Film Festival's Utopia, The Dark Side of Modeling. Katerina Otto Bernstein, welcome to film school. Thank you. <laughs> How are you today? Are you in New York? I'm in New York. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to be in Europe today. I, did, were there a, I, I just came back. Ah, very very good. What, what were you doing there? Are you just having fun, or did you have a project? No, I didn't have a project. I, well, the project was taking my children skiing. Oh, oh, very well, that's, good. That's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> did you enjoy yourself? Was it a good ski trip? Uh, it was wonderful. Well, we didn't have much snow. Uh-huh. You know, Al Gore is coming true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that what we call it now? Yeah, Gore is coming true. It was wonderful. Oh, very good. Well, really, really enjoyed this documentary. Can you tell us how you uh, ran into Robert Wilson? Yes, um, Robert Wilson walked into my bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> tell and us yeah. more. You it's can't literally s- true. <laughs> you can't stop there. You've got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, somebody brought Robert Wilson to our house uh-huh. and. Uh, he saw me sneak off uh, with a pack of cigarettes, oh. uh, hiding from my husband, and uh, <laughs> and I, I had seen his work, but I never met him, of course, and uh-huh. there was suddenly this very handsome, tall man standing in my bathroom, and hi, my name is Bob Wilson, and uh, could I have a cigarette? Uh, so so it's, it's, that it's, was the first encounter, and we chatted a little bit, and he asked me what I was doing, and I was working on a project about artists and their muses at the time. And he said, oh, you should do something on me. I have the best muses. Uh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, but then he began to sort of describe his, his life, and uh, that really you know, sparked the idea, instead of doing multiple artists, to do uh, something on him. But I had no idea how far that obviously would, would take me and how long yeah. it would take. That was the beginning. <laughs> well, that's fascinating because, from what I can tell in the documentary, he's uh, he's reticent. He's withdrawn a bit, and yeah. it's not. And and yet he's uh, telling you there must there must have been some sort of attraction. That he's telling you he'd like you to do his documentary, and and that's one person I I can imagine uh, saying he'd never want a documentary done until he was passed away. Did you get that impression at all? Well, I I think at the time he thought I would mainly. Um, do a documentary on Watermill, oh. on his center. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, as I began to, to film, uh, I was nine months pregnant, and we did the first interview in Watermill. Mm-hmm. And he's notoriously late, so he let me wait for an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, when you're pregnant, you, you don't wait. <laughs> and so <laughs> he gave a, a, a lovely interview, and when I got up, my water broke, and he had to bring me to the hospital. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was, you know, so so a lot of strange things 
happened that brought us very close as as people. And of course, um, after six months, I was pregnant again. Uh, we continued filming, and we talked a lot about childhood. And uh, clearly, I read up a lot on on him, and uh, and he is usually treated in a in a very academic way, and as you said, very withdrawn doesn't talk about his private life, but uh, uh, since we had so much time to, to spend on planes and, and filming and, you know, and the pregnancy and he likes to drink his vodka and I couldn't drink, and <laughs> <laughs> it became very apparent um, how much the work is influenced by his private life. Yes. And I thought that that private life was just as interesting as the work and, and in a way um, clarified the work for me. Uh, of course, he is somebody who would always say the work has to stand on its own. But somehow, sometimes it's, it's, it's a little cryptic. It's not that accessible. And, uh, you know, some works are more than others. And I suddenly understood the work so much better, and I felt it was very, very important to, to communicate how much influence that private life had uh, on, on the work. So he was a little resistant in the beginning, but I think on occasion he also forgot what he said, because this took a long time, mm -hmm. and uh, we built a skeleton. I always knew that the structure had to be somewhat Wilsonian because he, he <laughs> built his work by linking the acts with little entrects, you know, a little mm -hmm. bit of vaudeville. He's very influenced by vaudeville, and, and strangely enough, more than the uh, artist, the avant-garde artist of the 60s, he's, he's quite influenced by, by Chaplin, by, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the vaudeville of you know, turn of the century and then the early film, silent film. And so I thought, fine, then we use these entrects and put that put us back into the in pr uh, present, show the work now, mm -hmm. and tell the past in these acts. So we had a skeleton and we needed to fill it in. And in the very beginning, I think the difficulty was that the people around him were much more giving than he was. Uh, <laughs> so, yes. so the skeleton sort of worked, but, you know, he wasn't really filling in what I needed to, to hear <laughs> the other people to, you know, link the other people and the other statements together. So um, after four years or so, I said, Bob, you know, this is all very nice, but at a certain <laughs> point, chunks are missing and I can't finish this film. Yeah, so it is, you know, now or never. I think it's important for also for the flow of the story, and it's, it, it's a great story. Yeah. And so that was the, you know, the, so he said, fine, but only to you and alone. And I don't think I set lights in film school. And he meant really alone, mm -hmm. no crew. Mm. So yeah, I'm coming at eight, and then we'll do it. And of course, it was eight, it was nine, it was ten, <laughs> no Bob. Oh, great. So then he came, he said, okay, let's do it, but I'm really hungry. <laughs> okay, so I'll make you an omelet. So at 11 o'clock we started, and uh, we stopped at 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh, I think. And that was that breakthrough interview, and that film was done, was finished yeah, three months yes. later. So is that when he spoke much about his family, his father, his mother? and uh, Exactly, yes. exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, you know, I knew a lot of these things at that point, and I could have done a voiceover, but I wanted, I, I felt very strongly about having him tell the story. I didn't yeah. want to put a voiceover over the film, and he did, and he did it beautifully, and he, you know, did it much better than I could have and would have imagined, you know, with a lot of personality and very warm. Yeah, it was very warm. It, it, you're, you're speaking of, it, we're speaking about him, it, it, 
being very reticent, but in the film, he managed to really draw him out because he does come across as a very warm person. I didn't have a sense of his reluctance to talk about it based on what I saw in the film. Is, is his reticence his personality, or is it also his desire to keep the work separate from him as a person? Or is it a combination? I think it's a little of both. I think in the beginning, if you look at very early interviews with him, or even when you see him speaking in the film from clips from the, let's say, 70s, you can still see a residue of the speech impediment. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, initially the problem was that he couldn't really articulate himself as, as freely and talk about the work and how he felt about it um, in the 60s and 70s. He actually gave an interview. Uh, he did a seven-day play, seven days, seven yes. nights in Shiraz in Iraq. And uh, apparently the journalists that were covering the event were livid because they had to walk up uh, in the heat yeah. uh, on all these seven mountains and, uh, and didn't get any sleep. So there was a press conference, and a, and a very agitated press conference, apparently, where he appeared with a bandana uh, uh, over his eyes and... Um, just answered every question with the word dinosaur. <laughs> well, there you go. That's how legends are born, right there. <laughs> so thank God that didn't happen to me. Yes, my now, now, where, where is dinosaur from? I forget which piece he uses, the dinosaur uh, Well, he always liked dinosaurs, but yeah. he did a series of poems. He at one point decided that he wanted to have an artist colony in Canada, and he was given a piece of land. And he went there but, uh, and, and did a series of, of poems that became the underpinning for um, the seven-day play, Car Mountain and Gardenia Terrace, where the word dinosaur reappears. Yeah. And then they chanted that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. That's a good way to handle the press, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, I've got to say, after seeing the documentary, I don't think I'll ever watch anything of his... The same again, right, because right. with with this backstory, especially to me, it was it was his overcoming his uh, his stutter and, uh, from the uh, teacher whose name was Bird, right? right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who just simply told him to slow down. Yes. At that point in time, I, you you spliced in a, a bit of film, uh, 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 an actress who is moving very slowly with her hands. Isabel Huppert, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. That just opened up a whole new thing for me, because uh, you think that you're watching this piece of theater and that they're moving slowly for, for one reason, which, I, of course, they are, but to think that this was, was actually a, a, a type of therapy for him, I, I think... Is something yeah. to slow down so that you you understand and you can articulate. It was it was beautiful right there. I really appreciated that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank yeah, I mean, he didn't only have a stutter; he had a bit of a processing disorder. Right. And he also recalls that uh, when he first came to New York and he went to see the plays on Broadway, that he often didn't connect to the story, and that it was moving too fast for him. Yeah. And so, in a sense, what, what he introduced, in a way, by overcoming his own, in quotations, disability, is a bridge between the static arts and uh, the performing arts. And he's often quoted for that, for, of course, his lighting, you know, mm -hmm. he's the master of light, but oh, also yes. for changing the time in the theater. Did you see him at all react in a way that you'd say he has a processing disorder or that, oh, yes, he's using his process order to, 
to think a particular way? Did you sense that about him at all? Yeah, I mean, processing disorders, you know, depending on the degree, I mean, I often overcome at the age of 18, 19, and he only worked with Bert Hoffman at the age of 17. Uh-huh. So, not as a so, child, you know, oh, he was I didn't a teenager. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he had a big issue until, you know, late into his teens. But... Um, what happens often with processing kids is that, that they are visual learners. Mm-hmm. Even if you go to special schools for processing kids today, they often get visual cues to understand what's going on. And that with, gives him, of course, this unique ability to tell stories in pictures. Now, we in film do that all the time, yeah. and I think it is one of the first film school exercises to tell a story only in pictures without dialogue. Yes but that is not very common for the theater. So in a sense, he kind of works like a filmmaker telling stories, and I don't know if you've seen, you know, the rock musicals, if you've seen, I don't think Alice ever came to L.A., Black Rider did, uh, uh, right? Yes. Where, you know, the story unfolds, and you can feel the story and sense the story, but there is no dialogue. Yes. Uh, So in that sense, yeah, he works like a filmmaker, but that was absolutely new at the time. We're speaking with Katerina Otto-Bernstein about her documentary, Absolute Wilson. Now, you said earlier that Wilson claimed to have the best muses. Would uh, the deaf-mute child Raymond Andrews be one of them? Yes, Raymond Andrews, he he picked up uh, on the street in 1968 and adopted him. And and to this day, there's no birth certificate for Raymond Andrews. They assumed he was a teenage boy. They never really knew his age. We saw that he was beaten up by a policeman. Yes. And so he collected him, and at the end of the day, a dog became his legal guardian, which, of course, let's not forget, in 68, were the New Jersey riots, race riots. Mm-hmm. So this was a very iffy time, and he was a single gay male, you yeah. know. Yeah. So uh, very unusual. And he did his first breakthrough performance called Deaf Man Glance. Uh, with uh, inspired by this deaf mute child, based on drawings that he did dreams, and um, was pronounced then by the surrealists in Paris as their heir, mm-hmm. and that was his big international success. Uh, as far as the production goes, did you ever run into any prob- problems with Mr. Wilson? It seems that, that there's footage of him in Los Angeles when, when, uh, <laughs> when, when civil wars was, was falling apart, where he really asserted himself. And I was wondering if, if that, is that something part of his personality comes out often? You're not the first one who asked that. <laughs> uh, well, be as diplomatic as you need me. to be. <laughs> never with me. Okay. I think uh, oh, you really? always said, well, you know, you are so domineering. Uh, it's true. I'm very domineering. And <laughs> <laughs> somehow it never happened. But um, because I also wrote his bi- biography, the, the book, mm-hmm. and the publisher had worked with him on a project before. And he looked at me and said, oh, my God, you must have had such a difficult time. And uh, and uh, I, I, somewhat privileged, I guess, I, I really didn't. He was really, really adorable with me. But I've seen him with other people, and uh, he can be different. Yeah, it sounds like you found a place with him, and, and he must trust you implicitly. I, th- I just have to be something that, that you've, you two have a, a very a mutual trust of one another. Well, I mean, he's, he was very smart in the sense that he, he never wanted to see anything, and he never censored me. And yeah. in that sense, you self-censor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if somebody makes your your life havoc, then you know you're much more tempted to. <laughs> what a, 
you know, but it also impedes the, the process. And I think since he works on average five years on a, on a production, I mean, he does a lot of things simultaneously, but the development process is five years and longer uh, of, a, of a particular piece. So he understood that this took time. I mean, and I think it was very generous of him, but uh, when we opened in, in Berlin, he hadn't seen the film yet, and mm. I sent him DVDs, and I was very worried. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, what, what was his reaction? Well, first of all, I was very happy because he dug up Charlotte Rampling as his date, who oh. was also the head of the jury. And I thought, oh, great, um, because yeah. we didn't have a distributor yet. <laughs> thought, great, that makes for a wonderful press. And she said, just as we entered, she said, sweetie, I'm sure this is going to be very, very hard for you. Feel free to walk out any time. <laughs> <laughs> and Very I looked sweet. at her and I said, to be kidding. <laughs> 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 Can't walk out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Brace yourself. But he, he stayed. And he stayed in his seat for a long time. And then he, we had a you know, car from the film festival together, and he sat in there for half an hour alone because uh, he didn't know that his sister was in the film. Oh. And he didn't wow. know what she would say about the father and Einstein on the beach. So I think the fact that he has this very, very disturbed father-son relationship, yeah. which has never been resolved, no. It was closure, and it was a, a big surprise. Yeah, and he was, you know, very, very moved. It's a very moving part of the film, the story surrounding Einstein on the beach, and how it, how much was at stake, and and how has his father saw the performance. Now you've got hold of a lot of archives that I, I think that he, even uh, Mr. Wilson wasn't aware of, or if he was, he hadn't seen them for years. How did did he just give you access to them, and you were able to uh, to go back and find those old film clips? Or? Well, we had access to his archives, but yeah. a lot of things went in his archives, and yeah. some things were mislabeled. So he, for example, didn't even know that a student film the house existed. Wow. He had no idea that the footage of uh, um, the King of Spain, the, the very early works, yes. existed. A lot of people didn't didn't know the footage existed. He also left deposits when he's on tour. He leaves deposits and boxes at various theaters. So we sort of got the word out wherever there were Wilson Productions. If you have anything in your archives, please contact us. And uh, uh, we got several uh, phone calls, and one was from ART in Boston that you know, said, well, we have uh, five boxes here that say Wilson on it. We don't know what's in it. Do you want to have them? I said, yeah, great. And there was uh, um, an original print of the um, Avignon performance of Einstein on the Beach. Wow. Well, I, I have to say, <laughs> I, w- that's, that's I, I incredible. Take I, I've, I've got to believe that uh, that he's very grateful that you've done all this too. I mean, you've take you found some things from his past and things that aren't even that he wasn't even aware of. I, if, I think I, I yeah. think it took some time. The yeah, I was just going to yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say. I'll, I'll, I'll thank you for him. He is. I <laughs> yeah. think he is. Over time, he will. He will thank. No, you. no, he is. He is now. I think he had to get used to to the exposure, uh, and I think none of us expected, especially in Europe, uh, this reaction um, to the film. I think initially he was concerned that he's very exposed, and I mean he never verbalized, it, right. but I could sense it. And I think he was also bewildered because a lot of people came up to him and said, "Well, finally, I understand your work." And yeah. some of them were, of course, fans, and he always assumed they. <laughs> the work, <laughs> yeah. um, because mm-hmm. in a way the film counters what, what he does. Yeah. 
which is to explain more. Which is to explain, <laughs> yeah. exactly. He yeah. doesn't like art to be explained. It should just be, but I think sometimes it, it, it helps in, yeah. in our times. So I think a little explanation helps. I want to take one second here to give some context to how different Einstein on the Beach, how much of an impact it had. And even if you're not familiar with Wilson's work, you can see how much it's influenced uh, just a slew of artists that we know very well, like Laurie Anderson and Talking Heads, David Byrne. But Einstein on the Beach was a real sea change in American theater in terms of what it was capable of producing. It changed the face of opera, yeah. and I think it brought uh, completely new audiences to opera. It is an opera. It's the first opera that was uh, composed to stage sets, to visual ideas. And the impact was so extraordinary because Einstein on the, on the Beach only had two performances in the States in 76. Yeah. Then there was a revival at the Brooklyn Academy of Music in 84. And recently there was a revival, but with a different cast and different director in Berlin. By, it was done by students. And, of course, he's hoping that that BAM would revive it one more time. Yeah. But the impact was uh, was extraordinary, mm. and and he really pushed it into the Metropolitan Opera, and I yes. think it paved the way for so many other productions yeah. to make their way to Broadway to to the Met. wasn't totally exclusive because Tommy had been <laughs> at the Met the year before mm-hmm. the musical, but in a sense, it was absolutely revolutionary, right. and people remember it. We're speaking with Katerina Otto Bernstein about her documentary. Absolute Wilson. And before we go, I'd like to know, how is your film being received around the world? Oh, it's, it's, it's doing very well. Very it's, uh, it's opening in France now. It's open in Germany, Switzerland, Austria, Australia, Japan, China, <laughs> Turkey, Poland, Romania, astonishingly enough. Wow. Uh, you know what? We're huge in... Spain. It, it's... it's Playing all over Europe right now, and and we could have never anticipated that. That's wonderful news. Katerina Otto Bernstein, thanks for being on Film School, and good luck to you on all your future projects. Thank you so much. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash Film School.